Welcome to episode 28 of Mike's Notes. Today, what the heck happened to Yahoo? Today's podcast was inspired by a pair of Recode podcasts that Kara Swisher did. One was under the Too Embarrassed to Ask feed with Lauren Good, and the other was the regular old uh, Recode podcast that she did with Eric Jackson. And in both of these episodes, Kara shares a lot of opinions about Yahoo. Yahoo! No, not that one. Yahoo! Better, but still not quite there. Yahoo! That'll work. If you're too young to remember the early internet, like 15, 20 years ago, you probably don't remember that Yahoo was everything. Yahoo was really the center of some of the first consumer internet. Yahoo Mail was one of the best mail services. All kind of clubs and groups were organized through the Yahoo Groups feature. Fantasy sports were first popularized through the Yahoo sites. And they were a pretty good search engine too at a time uh, before Google had really became popular. Now that their core business has been sold to Verizon for just under $5 billion, we'll look at what happened. We'll try to figure out a few lessons that we can learn from Yahoo. And this isn't a podcast episode about solutions. I don't think anyone really knows what the solution is. This is sort of one more data point in what some people are saying about Yahoo that are lessons other businesses can learn. Ready? One. I think one of the yep. things was they thought they would bring in this Google CEO, and then just because they worked at Google, they immediately could make things right. Well, Google was just an abnormally interesting place of talent all together at once. It doesn't mean if you pulled individual parts out that they could succeed. That's how Kara Swisher explained it to Lauren Good. And in her conversation with Eric Jackson, she said much the same thing. Here's a clip from that interview. On the, I had covered her and her tenure at Google and had seen a different side of this particular executive and, and all Google executives. I think they get buoyed by being at Google and everybody gets this sort of you know extra special polish because they're at Google. And it doesn't mean once they remove themselves from that paradise yeah. that they do well. Here we have a situation where it was the conditions rather than the person that may have been making the big difference. It could just be that Google is such a great place to work that anyone that goes there uh, succeeds. In sports, what they say is that a player is a system player. If they do well under a certain coach or play in a certain style, it might be due more to the fact of the system or the style than the actual player. In Warren Buffett's early letters to his shareholders or stakeholders. This is before Berkshire Hathaway. He explained this framework in terms of a duck on a pond. Buffett wrote, quote, the rise and fall of the lake is hardly something for the duck to quack about, end quote. So Uncle Warren had his own stick to measure the water, the Dow Jones Industrial Average. If his holdings didn't outperform that group of stocks over a three-year period, he told his investors, quote, if our performance declines to a level you can achieve by floating on your back, we will turn in our suits, end quote. Buffett exceeded those returns and more. His ducks on a pond analogy continued 
when they succeeded beyond market returns, and he wrote, quote, I like to think we flapped our wings a few times, end quote. So Swisher thinks that Meyer was a duck on a rising pond, rather than a duck that was flapping their wings a few times. Jack Schwager, in his conversation with Barry Rittles, put it this way. Your approach is just to to just go long uh, and stay long, and it's and you're making and you're doing well, and it's in a bull market. All you can assume is you've been long <laughs> during a bull market. You have no idea what's going to happen when you have a bear market. In a sense, this is what Swisher is saying about Google. Working at Google is sort of like investing in a bull market. Whatever you do has a really good chance of succeeding, but you don't know what's going to happen until you're not in a bull market, when you're in a bear market. And in some ways, that's what Yahoo was like. They didn't have the same panache. They didn't have the same resources. Conditions like this matter. We looked in episode 22 about Milton Hershey, how he benefited from good conditions. That is, a rising tide, a bull market, or working at Google. He succeeded in building the company that still bears his name because he flapped his wings, too. Hershey's tide was a buildup of railroad infrastructure, a population boom thanks to immigration and workers in southern Pennsylvania, and national advertising that allowed for national brands, such as Hershey, to come of age alongside Coke and Wrigley. Now, Meyer had a similar tide when she was at Yahoo. Where Hershey's infrastructure was railroads, hers was broadband. Where Hershey's population boom was immigrants, hers was people with smartphones. Where Hershey's brand building was national advertising, hers was mobile ads, AdSense, and the shift away from newspapers. Maya rode a rising tide at Google, but the same conditions didn't exist at Yahoo. And conditions always play at least a small part in our success or failure. Two. Here's how you build great products. That's how you succeed. If you build a great product or you buy a great product, people think you're – look at Facebook, right? Look, remember, you could be grandma's old Facebook if it wanted. You know, it could have easily gone that way and it still could. But, it, you know, it kept itself fresh. It bought Instagram. It bought WhatsApp. It bought it bought Oculus. Oculus yeah. You know what I mean? Like, And then they also created some stuff. And look, they had a lot of dud products. We could name all of the dud products at Facebook. Um, but yeah. at the same time, Google they, goes spring cleaning every spring. Yeah, exactly. Shutters a whole but, bunch of but stuff. But they also come up with some on. good products, right? Exactly. Right? You know what I mean? And so and even Microsoft has has had some really innovative stuff going on mm-hmm. in lots of ways. And so I think the issue is when you have that many years of no great products, you know, do, redoing the weather app to make it prettier is not a great product. It's fine. And it, to me, it's I, I always call it table stakes. It's like when she added free iPhones and free food. I'm like, okay, table stakes. Swisher thinks that Yahoo missed the most important thing, build a great product. And Yahoo used to have great products. I remember going to their sports site before going to ESPN. I remember having Yahoo Mail. Other services like Fantasy Sports, Finance, and Flickr were all really recently great. Flickr, people loved Flickr. With Instagram and Snapchat and other mobile photo services, getting so much attention and buzz, we forget that Flickr could have had all of that. Flickr was really the gold standard on early internet photos. So what happened? Swisher thinks it's not enough good people. Good people lead to good products, which lead to good people, and so on. And don't confuse this for a chicken and egg problem. You can buy the egg to start. Swisher points out that Facebook's acquisitions like Instagram, WhatsApp, and Oculus have kept them from becoming grandma's Facebook. They haven't lost sight of the most important thing. 
Good products are the most important thing for a technology company, but any company needs the most important thing. For young Warren Buffett, it was companies with a book value greater than or equal to their market capitalization. Former NBA coach Pat Riley said about coaching the Los Angeles Lakers, quote, The major part of my job isn't to tell the players what to do. The most important thing I do is to create a great setting for them to work in, end quote. Stephen King says the truth is the most important thing. Now, what exactly does that mean for an author of fiction? In his book, On Writing, which is part memoir, part masterclass, King explains how telling the truth is the most important thing. Quote, my mother, God rest her, didn't approve of profanity or any such talk. She called it the language of the ignorant. This did not, however, keep her from yelling, oh shit, if she burned the roast, or nailed her thumb a good one while hammering a picture hook in the wall. Nor does it preclude most people, Christian as well as heathen, from saying something similar, or even stronger, when the dog barfs on the shag carpet, or the car slips off the jack. It's important to tell the truth. So much depends upon it. As William Carlos Williams said when he was writing about that red wheelbarrow, the legion of decency might not like the word shit, and you might not like it much either, but sometimes you're just stuck with it. No kid ever ran to his mother and said that his little sister just defecated in the tub. End quote. Honesty is paramount. And the same section King writes, quote, If you substitute oh sugar for oh shit because you're thinking about the legion of decency, you are breaking the unspoken contract that exists between the writer and reader. End quote. Honesty is King's most important thing. And most important things will change, but your focus on them does not. Satisfy one and then move on. The recruitment problem at Yahoo reminded me of Elon Musk's technique for recruitment, which is outlined in the Ashley Vance book. Vance talked to Dolly Singh, which was the head of talent acquisition at SpaceX, and she said this, quote, The SpaceX recruiting pitch was, If you want as hard as it gets, then great. If not, then you shouldn't come here. End quote. Work for Elon Musk and change the world. Work for Yahoo and what? That's what Swisher pointed out. Tesla gets missionaries. Yahoo did not. Yahoo didn't get good people to come in because they weren't building good products. That was their most important thing, and it sounds like they missed it. Three. At it, and I turned to Larry Page, and I'm sure he doesn't remember this, and I said, do they know? And he said, no. And he knew what I was saying. Do they realize what they're doing? They're facilitating your success. And, and it happened before. So I'd seen it happen with AOL and Netscape and others where they facilitated the success of other people's businesses and didn't realize the real business was AOL or, or Google. Here Swisher is recalling a meeting with Larry Page when he pointed out that Google was getting more search traffic than Yahoo, who was using Google for their search. So Yahoo's uh, back end was run by Google, and Google's search traffic was increasing faster than Yahoo's was. And Swisher notices that soon Google is going to pass Yahoo. Swisher has good pattern recognition, and pattern recognition is a superpower. It saves time, money, or opportunity. In podcast episode 27, I guessed that Louis C.K. has good pattern recognition skills. He could wait for a fat pitch and knew how to take a mighty swing. He's had a lot of at-bats. I also guessed in that episode 
that Mark Zuckerberg is still building his. Patrick O'Shaughnessy said that he sees young people buying, quote, expensive, exciting stuff like Tesla and Apple, end quote. But O'Shaughnessy knows that, quote, if history rhymes, which it often does, an older, more boring, stodgier portfolio is probably going to do better, end quote. Thinking in terms of history, noting that history rhymes and patterns repeat is a pattern recognition skill. Alex Bloomberg noticed this too before he started his tech company Gimlet Media. He saw patterns. This is how Bloomberg explained it. Quote, This American life worked. Planet money worked. After Planet Money worked, it felt like you can take this kind of storytelling, this kind of long-form journalism, and you can apply it to a bunch of different places. And now we know that this is fertile ground for this kind of storytelling. End quote. And Bloomberg continued to talk about the long form and other things, and then he concluded um, his ideas this way. Quote, then Serial comes along and demolishes everything in its path, and then it was very clear that it was the right instinct. End quote. So Bloomberg's idea is confirmed. He saw long-form journalism working at America, This American Life, then at Planet Money, then he sees it at Serial. These are all data points that are supporting this pattern that Bloomberg believes, something that he thinks is true in the world that other people don't necessarily think is true or that other people don't see yet. Warren Buffett says that only after reading IBM's reports for 50 years did he finally decide to invest. Here's something he told Charlie Rose in 2012. Yeah, Charlie, I'd been reading IBM's annual report literally every year for 50 years. And then this year, I saw something that sort of clicked in terms of adding to my feeling of confidence. And uh, so we spent 10 plus billion. <laughs> Pattern recognition is a great skill, but it's one that you can often only build through experience, either your own or learning from other people's experiences. And as we've said before, Reading about other people and reading other experiences is the fastest way to build your own pattern recognition. Four. I think the biggest thing, looking back now, and um, you know what I wish I had been more vocal about earlier, you know she was a first-time CEO. Obviously, I, I think she wasn't a good manager. I think there were a number of you know mistakes that she made just in terms of how she uh, managed people. You know, setting the strategy. The strategy wasn't really articulated. Mm -hmm. um, she had a lot of direct reports. Um, like twenty-six uh, at know. one point, or some number. Yeah, like that. I mean that's just. It's impossible, mm -hmm. you know, for, and, and, and it sort of, it, it sort of speaks to uh, an overconfidence in yourself, I guess, or, and, and. So our next guess about uh, Marissa Mayer comes from Eric Jackson, and he proposes that Meyer didn't know thyself. Unlike, uh, let's say, Teddy Roosevelt. In his book, The Rough Riders, Roosevelt recalls being asked to lead a regiment into Cuba, and he wrote, quote, while I believed I could learn to command the regiment in a month, that it was just this very month which I could not afford to spare, and that therefore I would be quite content to go as lieutenant colonel if he would make Leonard Wood colonel, end quote. Roosevelt knew he didn't have the right skills right now, so he deferred to someone else. And it's more than just technical know-how. When Andy Weisman spoke about evaluating founders, he said he looked at two things, whether the company can scale and whether the person can scale. That is, when it comes time to make decisions like should I exit this company? Should I merge? Should I sell out? Weissman tries to figure out if the founder is capable of doing those things. Does the founder know themselves enough to have those skills? 
When Elizabeth Gilbert said she was uh, considering going to a graduate writing program, she looked at that situation and thought being in a room with 12 other people wasn't the best way for her to learn writing. So Gilbert sort of created her own curriculum. Gary Vaynerchuk says over and over again that he needs to work, he needs to grind, he needs to hustle. He's not happy doing yoga or uh, focusing on his family right now. Ezra Klein says he doesn't like doing conference calls, so he tries to limit those. When Nasty Gal was moving from explosive growth to explosive sustainable growth, so Sophia Amoruso stepped out of the CEO role, she said, because uh, the things a CEO needs to do aren't the things she's good at. From the big to the small, these are all examples of knowing yourself and knowing what you're good at and what you aren't good at. These are examples of people focusing on their strengths and as Gary Vaynerchuk says, punting your weaknesses. Five. You know, I, I think if she had come in, I mean, and this wasn't just my idea. This right. was Mark Andreessen said mm -hmm. this to Sarah Lacey, I think, you know, days after Marissa was hired, that, she, you know, she should fire something like 10,000 people. Mm -hmm. Because I think including contractors at the time when she showed up, there were something like 16,000 people at Yahoo. And so uh, it, had she done that, uh, she basically would have seemed a lot more profitable for a lot longer than she did. Mm -hmm. And it would have bought her more time. It would have given her an opportunity to do more things. She was in such a honeymoon period at the time, nobody would have you know, her. blinked yeah. about it. So, In this one quote from Eric Jackson about Mayher, there's three things that we can unpack here. The first is what happens when you have to answer to stakeholders. And in Yahoo's case, the stakeholders were employees. The second is when time and opportunity combine, that's your runway. And more time or more opportunity extends your runway. Third is, what exactly is career capital? Why is it that Mayer could have come in and made these big changes and it had been considered her honeymoon period? So the first was stakeholders. Yahoo had too many employees. Uh, Jackson and Andreessen both thought. Stakeholders aren't just employees, though. It's anything you are accountable to. The more things you are accountable to, the less flexibility you tend to have. When Coca-Cola became a national brand, they still only had about 30 employees. The investment bankers that bought the company for $25 million in 1919 said it was, quote, essentially a small family business, end quote. They didn't have a lot of stakeholders, so the sale went through really easily. Wesley Gray says he recruits a certain type of investor for his fund. He wants stakeholders that aren't skittish, that aren't going to remove their money when the markets uh, go down or when the markets are volatile. Louis C.K. said that part of the reason he wanted to make Horace and Pete the way he did was that he didn't want advertisers on his show because he didn't want to have to answer to them. Advertisers were stakeholders who could influence what he was doing. Even walking the dog is a stakeholder if it demands an hour a day. In a 2014 interview with Lifehacker, Ira Glass was asked his best time-saving shortcut or life hack. He said he had nothing. That's clearly not so. Any person who runs one of the biggest podcasts in the world, has a family, and does speaking gigs all over the country, has to have some time-saving trick. After thinking about it for a moment, this is what Glass said. Quote, I guess my biggest life hack, and this is the very first time I've attempted to use the phrase life hack in a sentence, is that my wife and I decided to live just a few blocks from where I work. We did this because of our dog. Since I spend at least an hour every night walking the dog, I don't want to spend another 60 or 90 minutes a day commuting. I don't have the time. 
Like lots of people, I work long hours, end quote. Ira Glass recognizes that his dog is a stakeholder on his time, so he lives near his office. Your internet bill is a stakeholder too. It demands some number of hours of work to pay for it. Relationships are stakeholders. Hobbies are stakeholders. Everything you are committed to limits what else you can be committed to. Andreessen, Swisher, and Jackson think Yahoo was committed to too many employees. Dropping stakeholders would have given Yahoo more time and opportunity, and you need to increase both of these to increase your chances of success. Dilbert cartoonist Scott Adams puts it this way, quote, I find it helpful to see the world as a slot machine that doesn't ask you to put money in. All it asks is your time, focus, and energy to pull the handle over and over. A normal slot machine that requires money will bankrupt any player in the long run. But the machine that has rare yet certain payoffs and asks for no money up front is a guaranteed winner, if you have what it takes to keep yanking until you get lucky. In that environment, you can fail 99% of the time while knowing success is guaranteed. All you need to do is stay in the game long enough, end quote. So here we see that Yahoo, had they extended their runway, they would have been in the game longer. They could have taken more yanks on the slot machine handle. And it didn't have to be this way. Mayer had the career capital to lay off a lot of people. Career capital is an idea that Cal Newport has written a lot about. His theory is that to have a great job, you have to have great skills. Mayer had a great job because she had great skills. She could have leveraged the perception and application of those skills, the idea that this person knows what they're doing, and made drastic changes. For example, when someone asked Judd Apatow how he gets to work with cool people, he said that it's because he has career capital. Terry Gross has career capital because she's cut her teeth coming up through public broadcasting. Chamath Palihapitiya said he did whatever Kevin O'Connor asked of him and built up his career capital that way. Career capital is the idea that you have certain skills and you can do certain jobs. Mayer had that sort of experience. Even though she didn't succeed at Yahoo, she's going to succeed at whatever else she does. She's a really intelligent and productive person, and she will get a chance to use her career capital at something else. It's just that Jackson and Andreessen thought that maybe she should have used some of it to lay off people at Yahoo when she first got there. There's not one thing that killed Yahoo, no one person. As Ben Horowitz wrote, quote, the problem with these business books is that they attempt to provide a recipe for challenges that have no recipes, end quote. In some ways, creating this episode, we violated that idea, even though there were five clear bullet points and five big ideas here. Uh, they aren't prescriptive. They are only descriptive. If they would have changed these things, Yahoo still may have failed. There's no silver bullet, as Horowitz likes to say. There's no panacea. There's no cure-all. All you have to do is put a lot of effort in and do the right things and hope to get a little lucky. This episode, I hope, was more of a guided tour. Uh, these ideas were just suggestions, things that might have worked that might have been different. As I've written before, it can be just as helpful knowing what not to do as knowing what to do. So to recap, one, beware of executives that succeed because of rising tides and tailwinds. Two, never forget about the most important thing. Three, Build up experiences or read books for a shortcut to help you recognize patterns. Four, know your strengths and your weaknesses. Punt what you don't do well. Five, reduce stakeholders to get more options. You need a long runway to experiment and you need time to pull the slot machine handle. The more career capital you have, the easier cutting stakeholders out will be. 
Thanks for listening to episode 28 of Mike's Notes. That's very nice. Thank you very much. Now, why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? It's leave, you idiot. Make like a tree and leave. You sound like a damn fool when you say it wrong. All right, then, leave. And take your book with you.